Welcome to the Rear Naked Recap, UFC 265, going down from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, and right off the hop, little Cody's in rough shape. Uh, I mean, I'm hungover, as Ned Schneebly would say. doesn't mean I'm drunk. It means I was drunk yesterday. However, exciting fights, definitely a result we were looking for. Parlays look pretty good all around, and an entertaining night of fights. So brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. As always, love having them come in on as a sponsor. And just uh, the support that they've been given is tremendous. So starting off, we've got Johnny Munoz Jr. taking on Jamie Simmons. Munoz Jr. is a 3-1 to favorite in this spot. And that's not because we all think that Johnny Munoz is some great fighter. It's that that's how much little faith, I think, was on the flip side to, to Jamie Simmons. I mean, Munoz, again, we all know that BJJ Black Belt at age 20, you know, had won some pretty decent tournaments up until the brown belt level, solid jiu-jitsu. But we know he can't strike, and we know his wrestling is not all that good. Against an elite level of guy, he probably would have struggled. But in this spot, not at all. The striking was good enough on the basis of Jamie Simmons wasn't throwing anything back. So Munoz largely dictated a lot of the action standing in the first round. Didn't land a ton. The light kicks were working for him. He was finding his distance pretty decent but with the right hand by the end of the round. But it was a, a fairly relatively close round. He did shoot a takedown late. Gets it. Boom. We got a first round Johnny Munoz going into the second he gets the takedown again, and I think now you see the confidence building in the kid because he's still super young. He's still very green in his career. He's coming off a win or a loss that a lot of people thought he should have won, but now he's a sophomore outing, feeling better, and you saw his confidence grow. The first round didn't really want to engage standing. The wrestling didn't look all that good, but as soon as he got that first takedown, created that first scramble, then he knew, I can wrestle with this guy. D3 background out of Jamie Simmons, but... I can take this guy down. The striking was working. The confidence was building. And that second round, the striking looked even better. The, the wrestling looked better. He got the takedown, took the back. That first rear naked choke attempt, I thought it was sunk in deep. Jamie Sims did an excellent job of fighting it off. But then, I mean, he just attacks him again with the same move. And uh, the kid does have good jiu-jitsu. He makes the adjustments. He gets the tap out. We ended up using pretty high, him high up on the parlays. And again, I didn't love the performance out of him. You saw where he was green. But if they're going to keep matching him up soft, this was a contender series type of fight, and he will thrive in those situations. But, you know, don't don't throw him along too solid. A guy that was solid wrestling that he can't take down and he needs to rely on that strike for 15 minutes might not work out for him. But again, he's young. He's green. He got the win. We're happy with that. A lot of people were trying to chase a much better number than the 3-1. to one, So almost everybody was taking it inside the distance because Jamie Simmons has lost inside the distance on all his pro losses. So, I mean, it kind of was right in itself. Very happy about that one. Moving on, we got Melissa Gatto versus Victoria Leonardo. Again, this one, going in, the whole tape study, all the research on Gatto, same research that everybody watched, the the three videos that you can muster up on her. Yeah, it looked primitive. It looked basic. It looked like her, her definitely her takedown defense wasn't very good. She had a willingness to just accept positions off of her back. Didn't look physically strong. Striking is a work in progress. But I, I say time and time again, you give any 22-year-old fighter three years off, two years off, just to improve, to mature, physically get stronger, technique gets better. We don't know how good they're going to come off. So here's what you have in this situation. You have a mediocre fighter in Melissa Gatto that you haven't seen in three years, and you have a mediocre fighter in Victoria Leonardo who you saw a few months ago. Well, one of them still mediocre, can guarantee you that. We just saw her a few months ago. That's where she's at. The other one, we remember her being mediocre, but she could have made some improvements. And by the way, I mean, she kind of did still look mediocre, but yeah, good enough to get the win in this fight. I mean, uh, the striking standing was, you know, relatively close. Fight hits the ground, and uh, you saw where her, her jiu-jitsu was just way more advanced. She kept attacking, trying to get the arm bar, ends up scrambling, takes the back. 
she was riding that back position very high for the majority of it. Victor Leonardo, if she was a better grappler, probably could have scrambled and end up on top a lot earlier. Does eventually scramble, get up on top. But she's not landing any real ground and pound, and Gato's the one throwing up the submission. So this is a close first round. I scored it for Gato on the basis of she did have the back. She threw up a couple submission attempts. Leonardo didn't really do a ton, and the judges ended up going 2-1. to one. So two of them thought that uh, Gato won the first and Leonardo won the second, or won, won the round. Um, so going into the second round, it's like, okay, you know, we're up around, but this is a relatively close fight. But Leonardo's cardio just fell right off a cliff. She got big time tired. And then that just allowed Gato to, you know, keep coming, pile up some damage, hurt her. And eventually she, uh, must've injured her arm. I believe it was, but the doctor came in, stopped it between rounds. So the Gato was an even money play. You, at one point you maybe could have gotten a slight underdog price on her, but, uh, does she factor into the division going forward? Maybe not. But again, she's only 25. This is her first fight back from a long layoff. She showed a vastly improved skill set, and she's still going to keep working towards improving. So solid performance for her. Start the night 2-0. We're very happy with that. We move on. we got Miles John versus Anderson Dos Santos. If Miles John fights to the best of his capabilities, he, he does this all night long. It's does he have a cardio issue? Does he tend to get tired? And if you look at his UFC runs to this point, he definitely gets tired in his debut. You know, his next fight against... Uh, against Cole Smith uh, from Canada. It's just like, uh, he definitely gets tired in that fight. He gets knocked out by Mario Batista in the second round. We're all making a case of maybe this guy's cardio is not good, but I really like that fight in his last time out against Natividad where he knocked him out in the third round. You know, you saw that even though he can't push his foot on the gas for three hard rounds, if he paces himself out, smarts a fight, educated, tight, technical game plan, he can go out there and he can get these late night, these uh, these later round knockouts. And that's what he did against Natividad. And that's exactly what he did against Dos Santos. Dos Santos is tough to deal with, dude. He just comes forward, ruthless aggression. But the leg kicks definitely compromised him in that first. That's really the story of the first round. Miles John too fast, but just keeps battering that leg time and time again. And all of a sudden, Dos Santos is having trouble tracking him down. It, as your leg's getting chewed up, you're a little bit slower, right? You're a little bit more flat-footed. You're not, uh, you're not able to cut off the ring quite as much. But you also start anticipating the kick and you drop the hands. And Miles John wasn't just a light kick. That jab was money. Extends it perfectly straight down the middle and was landing time and time again, setting up some other punches. What I really liked is that he fought disciplined. He could have gone out there, oh, this guy's hobbling on one leg. I'm going to try to swarm him. Instead, he took his time. He had a methodical approach to it. Now, I mentioned on the prop show with Manpreet this week that him at plus 300 by knockout, I believe was really live. Anderson Santos has some durability issues, and Miles John's got like the sneaky power. Like He hits guys with clean shots, and they take it. But when you're hitting dudes with clean shots, like one of them's eventually going to put you out. He did it against Natividad, and this is much of the same. I'll give him a lot of credit. He fought a very disciplined game plan for the first two rounds. And in the second, it did appear he, though he was starting to fatigue. It did appear as though Anderson Santos was still trying to work his way back into the fight, losing, but maybe starting to come on a little bit. And then in the third round, goes out there and absolutely just destroys him. What I really like about that too is, you're up two rounds, right? If this is open scoring, they would announce Miles John's up two rounds. Everybody in the arena knows he's up two rounds. He's from Texas. They're in Texas. He's out of a gym in Texas. He's definitely up two rounds. And yet he really wanted that finish. And you saw him come out for the third round hot, like leaving it on the table. He wanted the finish. He wanted to chase for a $50,000 bonus. It was a fun fight. Wouldn't have been fight of the night worthy, but to go out and get a huge KO... That's what a young fighter needs to do. Still only 27. We know he can wrestle. The striking's coming a long way. If he improves that cardio, you know, the guy's fights in the greatest division in the sport. So I don't know if he ever cracks the top 15, but, you know, there's a lot of fun fights for him available. Moving on, we got Manel Kopp versus Odie Osborne. Manel Kopp missed weight. Uh, was, came over to the UFC and was just supposed to be the man. 
Dyson Fools and Ryzen. And people are writing him off now in the UFC simply because he's lost his last two fights and he's looked terrible in those last two fights. But Mentus Nicolau and furthermore, Alexander Pantoja, those guys are top guys, some of the best guys in the division. And he was in relatively close competitive fights with both of them. Once this man realizes what he's capable of, he's a scary talent. And uh, I, I just thought that this was the spot we take him. He misses weight. Guys that miss weight tend to win in the UFC. So that one really wasn't that much of a game breaker. But I'll admit, Odie Osborne actually exceeded expectations throughout the majority of that first round. I mean, he is huge at 125 pounds, man. So long as cardio is on point. Cap is being touted as some dynamic striker, heavy-handed. And Odie Osborne was beating him to the punch, stinging him, working him, doing some excellent work. And then why is Manal Cap some special talent? Why did the UFC spend all this money to bring this guy over? You know, what was the magic that he had in Japan? But it was like he had that magic where he can just knock out a guy on, on a whim. And uh, boom, you saw that at the tail end of this first flying. He catches Ode Osborne, knocks him out. This is no shame on Ode. He can keep making 125. I actually think that he's going to have a, you know, a bright future in the division. And as for Cap, he needed this win big time. And he didn't just need a decision win. He didn't just need something where he outpointed him from the outside. By the way, he wouldn't have done that. He was getting beat in that department. He needed a big KO, a spectacular KO, get his confidence back up, get some faith in him, add to a highlight reel so that the UFC can keep moving the marketing machine behind you. And then again, that's exactly what he did. So solid win for Manel Cap. And again, little Cody feeling great at this point, you know, uh, because they were 4-0. The night's going very accordingly. We got Carolina Kovalkiewicz coming up against Jessica Panay. This one, I'm, I'm honestly feeling pretty good about it. Jessica Panay. 38, man. That last win against Godinez, bum win. I didn't think she won that fight. Cardio, not great. Striking, not great. She fought an excellent fight. She fought an excellent fight, and Carolina totally shit in the apple pie. So, could she have just kept this fight standing and outpointed Jessica Panay? I, I, I do believe so. Was she winning the striking exchanges? I do believe so. Did she have the cardio advantage? And if she would have just kept it striking for the next three rounds, you know, the second and the third round probably would have been even better for her. Again, I do believe so, but you can't get in there and fight the fight for them. And when she dove into Jessica Panay's guard, she was fighting with some absolute fire. Uh, my boy, M MMA Lock of the Night, he always talks about Jessica Panay's grappling game, just like pure grappling, hits sick transitions, very smooth, very fluid. As far as MMA goes, well, she tends to get battered standing. Her strikings leave something to the imagination. Her wrestling's just not all that good. But if you just want to play jiu-jitsu with her, you're going to have a hard time. And when Carolina consciously made that decision to jump into her guard, she put herself right into fire. And as soon as she hit the ground, it was done. Jessica Panay was just all over her. Such smooth transitions. And I'll give Kovacavich one thing. She was fighting off a lot of those armbar attempts. She was trying to keep it real. You know, she tried to slam her way out. But in the end, it's like she tried everything she could to get out of it, and Panay was not letting go of that thing. So yeah, I'm glad that Carolina wasn't obviously, oh, she was never going to be a top ticket or a second ticket. In fact, she ended up being on the fourth ticket, but she was the only one that lost in the fourth ticket. And we could have we cashed plus 26, plus 2,663, uh, 2, right? So, I mean, all she had to do was pull that. Actually, no, never mind. That's a lie. Munez would have lost anyways. Didn't really matter in hindsight, but we were 4-0 moving in. I thought Carolina could have won this fight had she fought a better game plan. She blew it for herself, and that's a tough spot because now she's likely released from the promotion. She was on a four-fight losing streak coming in. I had tweeted out previously in the week that she had lost her last 11 rounds in MMA going into this Panay fight. But surely she's not going to lose to Jessica Panay. And when she did, now has lost 12 straight rounds, finished twice over that stretch, five-fight losing streak. She's still only 33, but it just seems like her spirit's gone. Just doesn't seem like she wants to do it anymore. Or at least, you know, doesn't have that same fire that she had once upon a time. Fought Joanny and Jacek hard five rounds. Won a round over Joanny and Jacek. And I mean, prime 
JJ. Like solid stuff, but since then it's just been a big time regression. Could you find new life in Bellator? Could you get signed up to some stupid PFL tournament? Yeah, 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 probably could. I just don't know if she has the desire for that. So if I'm Carolina Kovacavich's management, I think the no-brainer is you're getting your walking papers. We all know that's the point. Uh, that's coming. But where do you go? I think you go right back to KSW. I think you go back to your home country of Poland. You're going to be a megastar there. You're already going to be over with the crowd. They pay very good money, and they're going to match you up with fellow Polish fighters or people brought in to specifically lose to you. If you want to have a couple fights and go out and you still enjoy competing, but you can't compete at this level, then that would be the move. And for Jessica Panay, she's now on two-fight winning streak. Uh, she's hungry, man. She took a three-year-long layoff, and all she wanted to do over that entire stretch is fight. She wants to fight. She wants to fight. They took that away from her you know, PD suspension. I get it. But now that she's come back, she's got that fire lit under her. How does she go beyond this? How far can she go? I, I, I don't know. But if people are going to jump into her guard, then she is still going to pick up victories at this uh, level. So solid victory for Jessica Panay because you know she needed it. And Carolina likewise needed it, but there can only be one victory. Moving on, Alonzo Menafield at Herman. Uh, I ended up going bigger on Alonzo Menafield. I, I really thought to myself, I don't think his cardio is as bad as we're all making it out seem to be. Devin Clark fought an excellent game plan, neutralized him the entire time, and just grinded on him. I mean, slowed it down to a bog. And maybe that's why I got fatigued. The OSP fight, he was gun shy, coming off his first loss, fought a terrible game plan. But straight up, there's a lot of first-round fights in that mix, but I, I just kept going back to the Devin Clark fight. If you don't just straight grind him, he'll just pace himself out. He could be okay. And then Herman, even though at his best, could definitely put a royal grinding on somebody. He's long past due. He's 40 years old, hasn't fought in a year, is on a three-fight winning streak, but against very low-level competition. And you can definitely make the argument in his last fight against Mike Rodriguez, you know, he got beat up pretty good. What I did not expect was that Mark, uh, Alonzo Menafield wasn't going to be able to knock him out. I really did think he'd finish this fight inside the distance. Herman's just way too slow and plotting at this point that he is a hittable opponent. And with Menafield, the whole thing coming into the UFC was just how much sheer power this guy has in his hands. Starts off his UFC career with back-to-back first-round KOs, and it's like, okay, it's translating at an elite level. But, you know, over the last number, maybe it's the cardio issues, maybe it's he doesn't want to overexert himself, but I thought he had Herman in a bunch of spots where he could have definitely finished this fight and just kind of chose not to go after the kill. In the first round, definitely wins the first two rounds, no doubt about it, and he's landing the superior strikes. He shucks off all of Herman's takedown attempts easy. Herman is landing that check-left counter hook. Um, repeatedly, but it's not doing anything to Menafield. Menafield's up to it's the third round. His legs screwed. Actually, his legs screwed at the end of the second. They're checking it over. You know, are you able to walk on? Yeah, I can walk on. Okay, perfect. He comes out, and maybe it was a respect thing. Maybe it was Menafield's own leg hurt. I'm not sure what it was, but he let him off the hook. I mean, from the at the four minute mark, Herman's leg he's one legged, and it's like you can either just bum rush him and land strikes, or just kick the leg one more time, and he's done. And then from the four-minute mark to the two-minute mark, that's two full minutes, in the third round, he doesn't even throw one single kick. In fact, doesn't really even engage him. Just lets two minutes tick off the clock. So sure, he knew he was up two rounds. And sure, he didn't want to overextend himself in a fight he knows he was winning. But the fans want to see the finish. See how Miles John came out up two and was like, I'm just going to leave everything I got left on the, on the table go out, try to win $50,000, try to let the UFC know, hey, this guy's here to fight and give him some fun fights. Menafield could have finished Herman and been that hero as well. Instead, he kind of just stared at him that last round and, and let it go by. So solid 30-27 victory across the board. Definitely the rightful winner. Um, definitely showed off an improved gas tank. He showed off improved patience. But the power, maybe we overestimated the power, like a Greg Hardy situation. Knocking out fools in the regional scene, eh, but in the UFC, maybe it's not quite translating to those KO finishes. 
who knows? Again, Menafield moves forward. Herman, do you think they're going to keep him on the roster? I mean, he had won three fights straight coming in this fight. So what? It just won one setback. No big deal. But what do you do with Herman, right? Because he, he's not fighting elite level guys. And these newcomer guys are able to beat him as well. And if you give him one of those savvy big name veterans, it just doesn't do anything. It's hard to market, right? He's, he's at that point in his career. So he definitely deserves the right to fight on. And I hope he does. And I'm just not sure 100% what they do with him moving forward. Although I am a short fuse fan. Vince Morales versus Draco Rodriguez. Uh, honestly, this one actually kind of went according to plan. We just didn't get the nod in the end. Vince Morales showed a little more grit and determination than I thought he would. Um, in the first round, he, it, it's a close striking battle throughout. Vince Morales actually did throw his first ever takedown attempt, but didn't not really much to it. Draco Rodriguez back up to his feet. I felt like Morales did an excellent job of coming forward, being the aggressor, pushing the pace, letting his hands go a little bit better than he has done in previous fights. Rodriguez was just a little bit too tentative on the back. So first round, Vince Morales. Second round, Draco's countering excellent. His boxing's starting to get going. And the thing is, Morales is just coming forward every time. And so Rodriguez figures out how to counter. And I thought he had a much better second round. Started landing some decent kicks as well. Uh, the kicks start adding up. And you can see with Vince, Vince has kind of a long stance. We know that leg kicks were there in the Benito Lopez fight. We know that leg kicks obviously were his demise in the Chris Gutierrez fight. So Rodriguez should have been wise to that leg kick game plan. And in the second round, he mixed it in excellent. Kick the leg, kick the leg, kick the leg. Vince gets a little over antsy. He's tried to get kicked in the leg. He comes forward, counter the left hook, circle out. I scored the second round for Draco Rodriguez. Two of the judges gave it for Draco Rodriguez as well. So technically speaking, we would have hit a split coming down to the third round. It's a 1-1. It's who wants it more. Vince fought a much better round in that third round. He backed him up. He landed all the significant strikes. Uh, again, I don't know if Rodriguez's leg was hurting him, but he threw almost no leg kicks in that third round. He just got backed up. He wasn't letting his shots go. He landed a few shots here and there. But it was a Vince Morales fight. It was a Vince Morales round, and uh, I totally do agree with it. So that was the second play on the card that we got wrong. Draco Rodriguez, again, we did not have him high up on any of our parlays. But it was a 50-50 fight. I thought that his technical boxing would make the difference. He was proving me right a little bit. Second round was su still super close. You know, one judge actually had it for Morales. You could be at home thinking it was 20, 20 to 18 for Morales as well. I wouldn't fault you. But, you know, I thought he was doing a much better job of working his way into the fight. And then momentum's heading in his direction. Just won the second. Vince took it right off the table. So good, good job by Vince. He did exactly what he had to do. And then we've got... Uh, be the feature prelim, Rafael Fazeev versus Bobby Green. So we're all over Rafael Fazeev, big time. He's a top ticket play. He's a three to one favorite on the card for a reason. He opened like a minus 145, but a whole bunch of money came in on him. And uh, this guy should be out there and go win over Bobby Green. Bobby Green is always in a decision. These fights are always competitive. They're always relatively close. He would definitely be considered the value side because you know it's going the distance. You know it's going to be competitive. So he's the value side with his plus money. But he doesn't get close decisions, right? It's just what happens because he, every time you hit him, he shakes his head, he clowns around a little bit too much, he has low ring IQ, he plays with his food, and the judges don't really they don't they don't take to it, right? They don't reciprocate what he has in his mind that he's winning these rounds. They're not thinking the same thing, right? He's been screwed on three very close decisions in his like last six fights, so this is a repetitive theme for him. And I thought even if this thing was close they'd be giving it to Fazeev. So first round, you really see what Fazeev's made out of. You know, the guy's a high-level striker, but Bobby Green's a scrapper, man. This guy just does not give a shit. If Rafael Fazeev represents a elite-level striker, top of the food chain, one of the best guys, accredited Muay Thai striker, spent all that time in, in Thailand, um, you know, where he just pff, murdered fools, 
comes over to the UFC and it's like this guy, this guy's a real deal, high level striker. And who's Bobby Green? What's Bobby Green done? But he's willing to scrap it out with anybody. He had a decent first round, but Fazeev wins the first two. Uh, he's just slicker. He's landing the bigger shots. You know, whenever Bobby Green would kind of smile at him and talk a little bit of gamesmanship, Fazeev would give it right back. The leg kicks were working, but you could tell that he was starting to slow down. He's starting to get tired, and Bobby wasn't going anywhere. When he failed to knock Bobby out in the first round, then you knew, okay, Bobby's durability, which outside of a Dustin Poirier knockout, Bobby's durability has been pretty on point. He worked his way back into it for sure. In the third round, you know, he's not going to knock out Fazeev. So I know we got the fight, but he's beating up Fazeev. He's outpointing him. He's beating him to the punch. His jab's working really good. You can see that Rafael's tiring. Uh, as far as Rafael being a, an elite-level competitor, a five-round fight, probably not not ready for a five-round fight right now. He definitely started fading in that one, and I thought Bobby Green won the round. And then to hear the scorecards, one guy had a 30-27. So, again, that just goes back to people don't like Bobby Green style. Uh, at least judges don't anyways. I think the fans most definitely like Bobby Green style, but the judges don't. They just they don't believe in it. And uh, as a result, you've got Rafael Zeev taking the decision. Super happy about that. I had a feeling that this thing was going the distance, but all the same, our guy won. He was a top ticket play. He was an anchor of the parlays this week. So I was happy to see him go and get the job done. Was I as impressed with him as I thought I was going to be? No. Was I expecting a little bit more? Sure. But it's, it's tough fighting a guy like Bobby Green, right? He's in your face the whole time. He's talking mad shit. And that fight was fought at a pretty high pace. So was he tired because he's got bad cardio or was he tired because he was fighting at a very high pace? You know, I'm going to give him a pass. Solid victory for Fazeev. And now, of course, it's time for everybody's favorite DraftKings read because, of course, none of this made possible without DraftKings Sportsbook. And, of course, I just literally said it. It's everyone's favorite time of year. Sorry, I'm just going to reread that. My bad. Everyone's favorite time of year right around the corner. College football season. To celebrate... DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook and app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly. If you bet $1 or more on any college football game, take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Check out all the great promotions, daily odds, boosts that they're offering. DraftKings Sportsbook, very safe, secure, reliable, located right in the United States, so it's easy to deposit, withdraw all your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DOP to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code DOP to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time only, DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problems see. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And then we're rolling into a killer main card. So at this point in the night, of my own night, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to fog up, but the fights are going good. Things are going good. They're rolling. Song, Song Yudong versus Casey Kinney going to be a, a very excellent way to open up the main card. And again, there's not a whole lot of faith on Casey Kinney. Um, I believe that you could live bet him after the first and that he would come on strong in the second and the third. Song Yudong is a, an extreme talent, especially when you consider he's 23 years old. He's got over 20 professional fights. He's fought in very solid competition in the division already like Martin, Marlon Chito Vera, Cody Stamen, and now adding a scalp like Casey Kinney to his resume. It's all very solid stuff. You see improvements from him every time out, but 
it's just like he's more of a generalist. He's not, I don't think he's an elite level striker. He's not an elite level wrestler. He's able to do it all quite well. And Casey Kinney is exactly in the same boat. He's a good striker. He's a good wrestler. They just don't have those X factors to their game that are going to get them beyond the top 15 of this loaded band and weight division. This was an excellent scrap. You could have scored it very tight. It ended up being a split decision. Personally, I did have it for Song Yudong. I just thought he was landing the cleaner striking techniques. Casey Kinney was, you know, doing a good job of pressuring in certain spots, but it just, I don't know, I hate to say body language, but the body language was that Song Yudong was never in trouble. He was never worried. His cardio looked vastly improved. He took his time. He landed some excellent counters. He had the faster hands. And Casey Kinney did a lot of time moving, spent a lot of time moving, but didn't really land as much substance. He definitely thought he won coming into the third round. He's hanging on the cage. He, you know, he, he thought he robbed when they announced the split decision for Song Yudong. But again, this was a very close fight. Dana always says, don't let it go to the judges. Listen, dude, this is mixed martial arts at the highest level, and you're fighting an elite competitor like Song Yudong or Casey Kenny. These fights are going to go to the decision, and it's going to come down to who's watching it. But I didn't think they got it wrong here. I thought Song Yudong was the rightful winner, not complaining about it. Knew this was going to be a close fight, knew this was going to be a tight fight on the straight-up pick side of things. Did have Casey Kenny, so I was wrong about that one. But very close, very competitive. The read wasn't wrong. It just we, it didn't go our way, that one. Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. Tisha Torres ended up nether being not an anchor. She's not a top ticket play for us, but we've got her on that second bracket. So if you're keeping, if you're keeping, uh, actually it's on the third bracket, was she? So we got Fizev on the, on the top ticket. He's already hit. Good times there. We got Johnny Munoz and Alonzo Menefield on that second ticket. So they've both hit. I mean, you just need gone. We're hitting those top two tickets. And then we've got Johns and Tisha Torres. Everything else below that is done because, uh, Karol Kovacovich lost, so everything's below is done anyways. But we can hit a plus 699 here. We'll be feeling very good about ourselves. We do need Tisha Torres to come in here and do the damn thing. What you notice a lot of time in rematches in the UFC is it might have happened three, four years ago, but it still kind of plays out as roughly the same fight. I mean, we saw that with Angela Hill when she, uh, when she recently fought uh, Ashley Yoder. You know, they had fought previously, and, you know, they just ran it back. It was the same thing. You know, Benil Darius versus um, Diego Ferreira, Carlos Diego Ferreira. You know, they fought once before, and it was kind of the same thing. Those advantages are still there. Everybody, making, everybody makes improvements. Everybody's more refined, but it's not like one person made the improvements, the other one didn't. Tisha Torres is in excellent form right now. She comes in on a very strong two-fight winning streak. She was the underdog against Brianna Van Buren, pulls off a dog upset, and looked very solid in that fight. And then that last fight against Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes, not this level, certainly not at Tisha Torres' level. But she just cut right through her. She looked dynamic. She looked physically very in excellent shape. She always is, you know. I mean, she's someone who definitely takes her training very seriously. But uh, the striking looked a lot like she was sitting down on her punches a lot more, delivering some damage. The wrestling looked good in that spot. I just thought that if Angela Hill made any improvements, Tisha Torres had made the exact same improvements. This wouldn't be pretty similar. What I didn't expect is that Angela Hill's takedown defense was very solid. Tisha never got close on any of those takedown attempts. And actually, in the first, it was Angela Hill that was searching for one briefly. Almost even got it, but... When they were standing, it's like Tisha is explosive. She's in and out of the pocket. And so she would explode with three punches. Two of them would just flat out miss. One of them would graze. And then she's back out again. Angela Hill might land one singular kick. And then if you look at it in that respective, well, one girl just glanced with a punch and one girl landed a kick. So it's still even. But as far as being a judge, as far as being a human being, as far as being someone that's watching who's pushing the action, it's Torres, man. They call it peacocking. You know, you, you go out there and you, you do a lot of jumping around, a lot of bouncing around. You might not be landing, but you're doing something. Imagine a fight, not one single person throws a single punch, but the one person just stands there the entire time, doesn't move, and just stares at him. And the other person fucking dancing around. Who do you give it to? He's dancing around. He's doing something. Nobody landed anything. Sure. But one guy was moving around. He was uh, he was finding his range. 
this was a good fight. It was a close fight. We all knew it was going to go to decision. And again, if you wanted plus money on Tisha Torres, you could just take her by decision and get a plus one tag price tag out of it. So, I mean, that was the move. Again, it was it was close. It was competitive. But I thought Tisha won all three rounds, at the very least two of the three rounds. Judges agreed. She got the victory. Solid stuff. Rangela Hill, she's definitely in a gatekeeper role. She's capable of fighting all the best competitors in the world and giving them a go. But she's not getting the victories in those spots. She should have beat Claudia Gadelia. It was close. They didn't give it her way. She has an argument that she beat Michelle Watterson, split decision, but it doesn't go her way. And now this fight with Tisha Torres wasn't as close as those other two, I don't believe. But again, she's in these close decisions. She's capable of giving three or five rounds to anybody, but I don't think she's going to compete for a title. I don't think she's ever going to really hop over that hump. But she's a fan favorite. She'll take a fight against anybody on a week's notice. She always comes up in shape. She always comes to fight. How could you not like Angela Hill so Solid enough, uh, and, a, and a good win for Tisha Torres, who figures to be pretty close to a title shot, I would think. She's been very tenured in the division, been around for a very long time, beaten some of the better competitors in the division, uh, You know, has a win over Rose Namajuanas once upon a time. It just makes sense that at this stage in Tisha's career, she's now on a three-fight winning streak. She's more of a recognizable name because of the just sheer amount of fights that she's had in the UFC. I, I think that she's definitely not far away at all. Vincente Luque versus Michael Chiesa. Earlier in the week, talked about Mikey Chiesa is just a big body at 170 pounds, and he takes everybody down. I mean, look at his fights. He's taking all these guys down five, six times at ease. He just fought 25 minutes against Neil Magny. Kind of crushes the his got bad cardio theory and ragdolled Neil Magny, who's a pretty competent grappler in his own right. So there was stuff to like about Michael Chiesa. And with Vincente Luque, his entire run has been more, more or less strikers. He's fought a lot of strikers. Doesn't fight any guys that are wrestlers. Maybe they can grapple a little bit, but almost never actual wrestlers. And with Chiesa, he was going to get this fight to the ground. He was going to use his jiu-jitsu. That was going to be something that we hadn't seen from Vicente Luque. So I agreed with the narrative, and I had Michael Chiesa. Did the prop show, a little more on the fence, Michael Chiesa. Right after the prop show, the weigh-ins. And what do you do? You watch the weigh-ins. The weigh-ins is the last piece of information that you'll be able to gather before the fights you watch the tape you watch the interviews the last thing that you will that you can ingest new information before the start of the fights that's why some people will be like i locked him up picks on tuesday you know or they'll be like well this is the guy who i picked and i hate to flip-flop no you can't be ignorant to always allowing yourself to take in new information right you can't just close off your mind be like this is my guy so i really did watch the wayans as i always do with a with a fine lens and and not that it really mattered, but Kiesa looked drained at the weigh-ins, man. Yeah, he fought at 55 previously, but he's still a big welterweight. And he just came, kind of looked zapped. Luke looked good. I rewatched Michael Kiesa's last fight against Neil Magny. And honestly, man, like when they are striking, Kiesa is not a very good striker. Magny's winning the striking attempts, uh, the striking exchanges. But Kiesa has this ability to just close the distance, get a hold of him, wrangle him to the ground, and then win the round. With Luke, he is a BJJ black belt. He's physically stronger than... Neil Magny, if he can even stop one or two of these takedown attempts and keep this fight standing, he's going to take Kiesa's lunch money. So flip-flopped, it ended up being the bottom end of the PRP. So because Carolina lost, it didn't matter anything for us financially as far as the uh, the parlays were concerned. But at the same time, as far as the straight-up picks, you know, you want to be getting a lot more right than you're getting wrong. And so I was glad that I switched to Vincente Luque. Striking, you know, as we all knew, he was far more advanced than Michael Kiesa. Kiesa did a decent job at pressuring, getting in his face. But, uh, but Vincente Luque, man, that leg kick, oof. Kiesa felt it right away. You knew he wanted to get this fight to the ground. He wasn't going to last very long in the striking exchanges. And uh, he just shot a nice blast double, gets a hold of Luque, takes him to the ground. You do see how physically strong this man is. And as soon as he gets him down, it's not just like, okay, let me get a good position. Let me flatten him out. In the Magni fight, it was all about taking his time. 
taking his time. He would take Magny down. He would do nothing. He landed something like 21 significant strikes over the course of 25 minutes. I think it was 24 significant strikes over the course of 25 minutes. Like, very, very low output. You look at the two fights prior, the Rafael de Sanos fight, nine strikes he landed over the course of 15 minutes. Nine. So in those fights, he's taking them down, and he's positionally trying to hold them. With Vincente Luque, like, maybe he just didn't want to get back up standing. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, have to start a second and the third round against this guy. But he got really over antsy. And as soon as he hit the ground, he was just looking. Mind you, Luque wasn't looking to just lie there flat. He was scrambling as well. Maybe that's why Kiesa went for the back. But he gets the back. Never got two hooks in. It was one hook. The choke looked fairly deep the first time. Well, as soon as Luque broke it, good. The second one was a face crank. And even though Michael Chiesa is extremely strong, Vincente Luque seems like one of those guys that you'd uh, have to kill. You know, like if you had an arm bar, you might have to break it. If you have a choke, you might have to put him to sleep. If you're striking him, you're going to have to knock him out. He's got like a never-say-die attitude. So a face crank, which is not going to render you unconscious, I don't know, what's, the worst case scenario is he breaks your jaw. But uh, it seemed like Vincente Luque is one of those guys. So, you know, he's built for this. And when he had, uh, escaped the second rear naked choke attempt, got on top, he's just so slick, man. What a reverse of fortunes. This was a really fun fight. On one hand, you got Kiesa take, gets the takedown, attacks the neck, looks like he's got a deep bite on it. And literally within a matter of moments, he goes from, you know, looking at a sure victory to uh, looking at a sure defeat and... That Dars choke's for real, man. Luke loves it. We've seen him use it in a number of fights, but his arms are just so long that he slinks that in, gets a hold of you, creates no space. As far as how do you defend, you know, a Dars choke or a, an Anaconda, I thought Kiesa did an excellent job. He actually rolled, ended up in a top position, didn't have his body taken, but the grip on this guy, my God, Luke wasn't going away. So he's a, I'm not going to say a perfect fighter because his wrestling needs a little bit of work and you can make an argument that he's just way too hittable standing, but he is an extremely dangerous fighter in the regards that he can do it all. Like, how do you fight him? Do you want to stand in front of him? <sighs> going to be a tough night. It's like, do you want to take him down? Wow, he's got excellent jiu-jitsu as well. Defensively, he was very, very, very responsible when he was on his, on the ground against Kiesa. And then as soon as he got up and found the neck, he did exactly that. The prior fight with Tyron Woodley, he's rocked, right? And he immediately comes back and, again, finds the neck. So... Very scary talent, man. Scary talent. I hope that he's uh, getting in line for a title shot. I don't know. I don't know what you do with him in terms of does he fight Leon Edwards again or does he fight Colby Covington? I'd rather not see those matchups. I'd rather not see him have to fight like a stout grappler. But at the end of the day, advances his jiu-jitsu may be now, him in a five-round fight with Leon, if you were to run that back, kind of favor Luke, right? He's got far better striking. He seems a lot more durable. His cardio is always on pace. And uh, again, if you can neutralize just getting taken down and getting grinded on the ground with an excellent guard game, an excellent submission game, then you know it's going to take you a long way. So great stuff from Vincente Luque. Very glad I switched. Takes us to the co-main event. Overall, pretty good night. I did take Pedro Munoz. Again, financially, as far as the uh, parlays are concerned, doesn't really matter at this point. But, uh, you know, you want to be right. You do the tape study. You do the reads. The read here is that Pedro will lose the first round almost certainly. will rally in the second and third round. All those cardio doesn't look great. Thought he slowed down big time against Cheeto. He's still le legendary Jose Aldo, but he's just not the same guy he used to be. At 135, you know, the weight cut, it's got to take something out of him. Maybe that's why he's gassing out. Still gassed out at 145 back in the day, and those weight cuts took a lot out of him too. Getting older. I got Pedro. This was a flat out bad read. You know, this is this was the worst read for me on the card. And furthermore, I got Carolina would have been the second worst read, but she jumped right into the guard. So how does that one play out if she just fights a better game plan? I don't know. There was no game plan on Saturday night for Pedro Munoz to utilize that would have defeated Jose Aldo. He was on point. That was a throwback vintage Jose Aldo. 
Where we remember him at his best, leg kicks, baby, leg kicks all day. This guy just blasts out that lead leg, neutralizes you. You're stumbling around. He's just relentless. He's a pressure guy. He's done a very excellent job of actually changing up his game. He's not really that come forward and blast you with the leg kick guy anymore. His technical boxing is amongst the best in the division. Even when he was a champion, he worked routinely a lot with these uh, Brazilian Olympian guys. And as you just saw from the recent Olympics, in fact, the last two Olympics, Brazilians' boxing program in the amateur system is high, high, high level. I mean, they're developing world-caliber guys and Olympic gold medalists. In the case of Jose Aldo, you know, is he an Olympic-level gold medalist boxer? No, but his technical boxing is very good and amongst the best in the UFC. There was a time where he was relying on his kicks a lot and didn't use his hands quite as much, but now at his advanced age, he fights a very proper game plan. And even though he did utilize kicks, don't get me wrong, my God, that jab was just money. Jab, jab, jab. Pedro was coming forward as we thought he was going to do. He was trying to close the gap. He's always putting pressure on guys, but he just had nowhere to go. Like he would walk right into the jab three or four times. And then by the time he's got a tiny little reach on him, right? By the time he'd swing on something, Aldo was gone and would counter. He roasted the body with those body shots. That nasty uppercut straight up the middle was landing time and time again. And even though when it felt like Pedro was working his way back in it, like Pedro was closing the distance and starting to land a few leg kicks by the striking numbers. Aldo was always up on him two or three to one. Like he just routinely beat him to the punch first round. We knew we were going to lose. That wasn't the problem. And the problem was that Jose Aldo didn't look like he broke a sweat. He came out in the second round and looked just as good. I thought he started to tail off a little bit in the second. And then he came out in the third and had his best round of the entire fight. So that's world championship stuff. He's clearly got something left in the tank. I mean, very, very solid. And I can't fault Pedro. Did he fight for my dollar? Damn right he fought for my dollar. He went out until the end. He did exactly what he needed to do, but he was largely neutralized. His own leg kick game has been on point the last number of fights. I mean, he just goes out there and chewed up your lead leg, and I thought he'd do that. But Jose Aldo's reaction time to checking all of those leg kicks was unbelievable, man. He just turns that hip out. You could tell Pedro's leg was starting to hurt as well. So now he starts stop throwing the kicks quite as much and now you got to box this guy, but he's got a four inch reach advantage on you, faster hands, and just is a better technical boxer. So how do you win that fight? So then it's like, okay, Pedro's got to use his uh, grappling. He's a high level BJJ black belt, but Aldo's also BJJ black belt. And and then of course the biggest problem was you weren't going to take him down, right? Like he's notoriously tough to take down. He's got cast iron hips. It was a great fight. And if it was five rounds, it would have been five more or two more rounds of Jose Aldo cruising because he looked that good to my, in my opinion. So if I ever disrespected him, I learned my lesson and it was a, a solid performance. I don't know what you do with him now because he's Aldo. He needs a big fight. He needs a, a huge fight. I think on his best day, the way he fought Pedro Munoz, he could beat Aljamain Sterling. He's not beating Peter Yan. He's not beating Corey Sanhagen. He's not beating TJ. I don't know. You know what? He's pretty competitive with all those guys, to be honest with you. Sky's the limit for Jose. He might have one last run left in him. If he's able to capture some of that magic and keep it going, because that was a solid victory, not only performance-wise, but over a very reputable guy in Pedro Munoz. That takes us to the main event. And again, we've got the top ticket was Gagne Fizayev. So we got Fizayev. That second ticket below, we've got Munoz and Menafield on with them. They've both hit. The one below that, we got Johns and Torres for plus 699. They both hit. It's all riding on Surreal Gun. If, if Pedro Munoz and Carolina would have won, let's say, and I'm looking at a plus 2600, I may take that hedge out attempt. Why not? Black Beast is big plus money. It's not like I got to bet a ton to hedge out and uh, put a little bit of money. He's got that notorious power, but it was only a seven to one. You know, I had higher expectations for myself. Gon's a four to one favorite. It's just like, let's just let this ride, this one ride. Everybody in their mom broke this fight down the exact same way. Gon's bigger, eh, not bigger, but he's faster. He's longer. 
He's got the usefulness. He's got better cardio. Uh, he's just got the distance management, the jab, the kicks. He was going to absolutely win this fight in every aspect of it, other than can Derek Lewis land that one big shot. So you knew you had the better guy. This fight played out exactly as anybody could have thought it up. Derek Lewis landed two significant strikes through the first two rounds. He couldn't come anywhere close to Gone. Now you see with Gone in all of his fights, all these guys have trouble hitting him. You know, Rosenstruck has trouble hitting him. Volkov's the longest guy in the division. This guy can touch up anybody, you know, and it, whereas by the numbers he was hitting Gone, I suppose, he never really was able to find the target. I mean, he's in and out for a big guy who moves extremely well. I watched the fight, obviously, you know, at a party at my, uh, my place. I had a bunch of friends, and, and a lot of them were like, oh, dude, I mean, that's unfair that Lewis has got a 20-pound weight advantage. Depends how you look at it, right? On one hand, you would think 20 pounds is an advantage. On the other hand, being 20 pounds lighter makes you faster and more mobile. And Francis, or sorry, uh, Cyril is amongst the fastest and most mobile heavyweights in the division. He's not worried about getting booed. He's not worried about, you know, having to fight a different fight than what he does best. He's not worried about that stuff. He just stays to the game plan and stays extremely technical. So they booed him in the Rosenstruck fight because he stayed so technical. He cruised to a 50-45, but he didn't take any chances. Okay, fair enough, right? Now he gets Alexander Volkov, who, again, is an elite-level heavyweight. He lands like 130 significant strikes, beats him up, wins every single round again, you know, flawless victory. Well, he could have done a little bit more. He doesn't, he, he, he just, he does, he does what works for him. The difference there is Rosenstruck is super durable. The difference there is that Alexander Volkov is very durable. The difference here is that no disrespect to Derek Lewis, he's shown durability qualities in his career. He, he's kind of, you know, the job, the shots to the body hurt him. The jabs to the face hurt him. The leg kicks hurt him. He's got bad body language. He's curled up in a lot of fights. Has he won a lot of fights he's curled up in? Yes. But it was only a matter of time before this stuff is going to catch up with him. And whereas a lot of guys would hurt him and then rush in, you know, Travis Brown, oh, I got him hurt. I got to get it over with. You know, they get in there. Alexander Volkov, he's like, He's tired from beating on him. Cyril never jumps in and takes those big chances. He'd land three or four good shots, and it looked like maybe he could put away Lewis right now, but then he'd step back. And as he steps back, Lewis just unloads with a big counter right. He just saw it coming from a mile out. He absolutely dissected him. There was no way Lewis was going to fight 25 minutes. So at some point, even a light puncher is going to defeat him on the basis of it was all one-way traffic. Again, this is a flawless victory. Solid stuff from Cyril Gunn. Uh, he's now the interim champion. The move is very clearly to put him in a fight with Francis Ngannou. I think everybody knows that. If for whatever reason Ngannou wasn't to want to fight, then I don't know. Personally, I'd like to see him versus Curtis Blades, only because Blades is the only guy with the wrestling that could just maybe grapple fuck him for 25 minutes. Uh, but him versus Stipe, like I think Stipe is not coming anywhere close to this guy. And it would likely be similar to the Derek Lewis fight. Uh, last thing there is on the prop show we talked about this week, I thought this would go over two and a half but not go the distance, and that we should go with Gagne by TKO. And so, again, because he takes his time, you can hit an over two and a half, but still hit it inside the distance. It'll happen eventually. Against Stipe, I think it'd be largely the same thing. Probably over two and a half, takes his time, beats him with the jab. But in the third, fourth, and fifth, you know, when Stipe starts to get tired and his hands start to get low, this guy's going to start pouncing. Keep in mind, Gon's also very young in his MMA career. He's only got a handful of professional fights, and his Muay Thai career I believe he was like 7-0, 9-0. So he's not one of these guys with 50 professional combat bouts under his record. So he is going to continue to get better every time out and make improvements. And that in itself is a very scary thought. So that was your UFC 265 recap. Thank you very much for everybody joining in. Hopefully you guys cash tickets. It seemed like online a lot of my friends in the community were all cashing tickets for the most part. Uh, sorry to Clint. You know, that was bad bounce, man. And as we all know, 
in this sport, bad bounces happen. But for the most part, our top six all went according to plan. Guy never in worry. Fazayev could have looked better, but he was up two rounds. Cool with that. Uh, Johnny Munoz in control the whole time. Menefield with the 30-27. John's with the 30-27 on his way to the 30-27, but he got a third-round knockout. Tisha Torres with the 30-27. So as far as them doing their jobs, top three lines, all good. Coming off of last week, which was awful. Bellator was fine. Bellator seems to do their job, but it was nice to get back in the win column. So it was a big pay-per-view. It was exciting. Um, the support this week has been awesome, especially coming off my 30th birthday. Shout out to everybody that reached out. I very much do appreciate it. Should have a new episode of Mixed Martial Madness dropping later this week. And of course, thank you to the Mayo Media Network creating the platform and DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring the show. See you guys next week. Oh, actually, there's no pay-per-view. There's no card at all next week. But we will be doing a Bellator preview on Mayo Media Network. And there will be a PFL preview over on CJMMA on YouTube. If you need anything, any questions, any concerns, or you think I'm an idiot, hit me up on Twitter at CJ Safdick or leave a comment and a like. That stuff always goes a long way in, uh, I guess, just showing like the robot, our robot makers, our overlords that like people like it. So if you do like it, you know what to do. And I shall catch you guys the next time. Easy. Oh, oh, oh.